Well, this morning, um, I want to I start by reading you this passage because I think it's a great summary to really where we've been and where we're going. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and Paul says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring, bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boasts in the Lord. So as we, we wrap this series up, what I want to do is just kind of bring it to a closure. It's going to be a shorter teaching time, and I'm going to give you guys some time to share in just a minute. But really, as I've done this and, and thought about it, it all, it all comes down to this. Why does it matter? What, what's the difference? What, what do we do with this? It's, it's 500 years later, we're living in a totally different century, in a totally different country, uh, speaking a different language, we, but we worship the same God. We have placed our faith in the same Christ. We believe many of the same things, if not all the same things that these guys did. So what's, what's the difference? What do we do with this from this point forward? So one of the things that I did this week is went back and just started reading about what are the long-term ramifications from the, the Reformation. And I mean, I've read, I just read all these different articles and got, you know, a headache from it because depending on who you talk to and who you read and their particular bent, if they're Christian, non-Christian, historical, theological, they all have different ramifications. But some of the things that jumped out were these, that because of the Reformation, you saw literacy rates go out the roof. Uh, people started learning to read. Why? Because they wanted to read the Bible. Suddenly the Bible was in their language, but if you're illiterate and you can't read it, you want to learn to read it. So it resulted in literacy really becoming a huge issue within the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, obviously, you saw denominations go out the roof. You saw Presbyterians and Methodists and Lutherans all come out of the Reformation for good and for bad. Um, we still have issues between denominations today. We still can't seem to get along and can't agree. And, but I think there's also good that's come out of that. But that's one of the things that happened. You saw the Catholic Counter-Reformation happen. Uh, they woke up. They smelled the coffee. They realized we better do something. And they began to do reforms within their own camp. Uh, and, and we're not going to study any of that. We're not going to look into it. But it was a major issue within the Catholic Church. You saw, sadly, increased anti-Semitism. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the later years of Luther's life, he wrote some very um, troubling things about Jews that haunt him to this day. And it was a, a, a resentment against anybody who was not Christian. And I think so much of what Luther said against Jews was not anti-Semitic as much as it was anti-non-believer. Uh, he hated that anybody would turn their nose up at the gospel. And so he lashed out. And, and yet you saw within Christianity this growing animosity towards Jews to where the Jews were having to yet again move and escape and go to other countries. 
kind of a sad indictment. You saw the creation of the Church of England by Henry VIII. Uh, all kinds of things were happening within the culture, within society, even within uh, political spheres because of the Reformation. It was a game changer in major ways. And sadly, you saw the Thirty Years' War, which was Protestants and Catholics fighting, literally fighting physically against one another. And then finally, you saw the persecution and the forced relocation of many of these denominations like the Puritans and others who moved to get away. Um, story of our country, that they came here to escape persecution. So we could go into a lot of different things that came out of the, the Reformation. But I want to go back and I want to, this morning, just briefly look at some of the things that Luther and specifically Calvin said. But this quote um, jumped out at me. This is by Michael Horton. Michael Horton is a contemporary. He's a pastor, theologian, um, writer, thinker. He's a very bright young man. But this is what he says. We're very interested in the Reformation, not because it's a thing that happened in the past, but because we're in the same stew. We're not slavishly devoted to the 16th century Reformation. They made mistakes just as we will, but we do believe that it was the single greatest recovery of apostolic Christianity since the death of the apostles themselves. That's a huge claim. Uh, but I think he's right. I think as he looks back and we look back at the Reformation, it was a game changer. It was a huge issue that still has impacts today. He says, by God's grace, they returned God's word to the stage and all its authority, conviction, grace, and redemption, bringing that long-awaited renewal to the body of Christ that so many had sought through more superficial avenues. We're right at that place now where everybody's seeking renewal and revival through all of the avenues that were pursued before the Reformation. You catch what he's saying? We're at a point in time in this day and age, this is a recent article, where everybody within the church is talking about reform, renewal, reformation, but they're sadly using a lot of the same methodologies that were used pre-reformation. Um, works, effort, um, good deeds, and, and it takes the form of all kinds of things. You know, let's go dig water wells all over the world. I'm not against digging water wells, guys, but if you don't take the gospel, if you give them physical water, but you don't give them spiritual water, you really haven't solved any problem. My, work does, my wife does work in, in Ethiopia among very impoverished people, and she's helping them to learn how to work and how to have careers and how to get out of poverty, but she's also sharing the gospel because if you get out of poverty and you still don't know Christ, you're still condemned. And so how are we going to change the world in which we live? Finally, he says, before they got to the doctrinal and theological heart of the crisis, for that reason, we're all about the need of a new reformation. What I want to do is, is not end here, but really begin here. So as you guys leave today and as you go back about your business and you get busy with the holidays, I really prayerfully hope you will go into the world with the idea of we are here to reform. We're here to make a difference. We're here to change the way the world looks, a new reformation. Well, just real quickly, some of the things that came out of the reformation, ramifications that have touched your life and my life are these, grace. Before the reformation, grace had a different definition. It had a different um, look to it. Grace was that commodity that you got from God that allowed you to do the works that you had to do to earn favor 
and righteousness in God's eyes. Grace was like fuel for your spiritual engine. But the reformers said, no, grace is God's undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor. You don't do anything to get it. He just gives it to you. And it's what leads to righteousness. Justification. The reformers came along and said, we are made right with God, which is all that justification means. We are made right with God by the work of Christ, not your works. And that was, a, that was, again, a game changer. That was a huge issue within the Catholic Church because in the Catholic Church, it was based on your works, your righteousness. You had to have inherent righteousness in order to be declared righteous by God. We and the Reformers believe in imputed righteousness, that we get our righteousness from Christ, not from us. It's an it's a external righteousness that then is given to us. Scripture. Sola Scriptura came out of the Reformation. The role of Scripture in the life of the believer, it is non-negotiable. You have to have the Scriptures. And this was in a day and age when most of the people had no access to Scripture, and so they didn't know what the Scriptures said. And what they did know, they got from the church. And they got it through the church's viewpoint, their definition, how they saw Scripture. But now you and I have the capacity, the capability, we have really the responsibility to study the word for yourself. Read it, study it, memorize it, apply it. That was a huge issue. How about faith? One of the things the reformers did is, is even change the definition of faith, that faith is not a work. Faith is a gift from God. But even today, we wrestle with that. We still think faith is something we bring to the table, but the reformers would say, no, you can't even bring faith to the table because if you're dead in your trespasses and sin, if you are blind, if you're deaf, if you can't do any of the things that a dead person can do or can't do, then how do you think you even bring faith to the table? Even faith is a gift from God. Why? So no man can stand and boast before God. It all goes back to him. Security, the security of the believer. It's made possible by Christ, not you. One of the issues that the Catholic Church, even today, wrestles with is that nobody is ever secure. Nobody ever knows that they're ever really going to get there. And you and I, because of the Reformers, can know that with beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are saved and we have eternal security. And if you don't have that this morning, man, I would love to talk to you because that is the key is this rest that I don't have to worry, I don't have to work, I don't have to earn. I am eternally secure. And this comes out of the Reformation. The priesthood of the believer. You guys are priests. And that came out of the Reformation. Prior to the Reformation, a priest was a priest. A priest was a, a cleric within the Roman Catholic Church, and they had certain powers and authorities. It was the priest who, when he spoke words over the, the sacraments, the Eucharist, it became the body and blood of Christ. He had certain powers, certain abilities. He could forgive sin. He could absolve you from sin. Luther and Calvin and these other guys came to realize that, no, every one of us in the room is what? A priest. You are a royal priesthood. And that changes things. It doesn't mean we don't have pastors. It just means that every one of us is a pastor in some form or fashion to those around us, a shepherd, a minister. 
they just completely redefined what that meant. And it affects us today. Finally, sacrifice. This to me is probably the most important because prior to the Reformation, sacrifice was all about the mass. The reason they do the mass even today is you're literally re-sacrificing Christ. You are sacrificing his body and his blood yet again every time you take the mass. And there's mass, masses taking place all over the world every day. And yet the Reformers come along and say, no, the sacrifice is your life. Offer your life a living sacrifice. It's not the mass. It's not, we don't sacrifice God over, or Christ over again. It's you now taking up your cross and following him, sacrificing your life for his sake and for the sake of those around you. So a lot of things came out of the Reformation that have impacted us and should continue to impact us, but it's the gospel if, if I had to say one thing that came out of this whole study for me, it's the gospel, the, the non-negotiable importance of the gospel in our lives today. Yes, we know the gospel is critical for us coming to Christ, but I think at least the way I was raised and the de denomination I grew up in, the gospel was a first point in time, first contact, <coughs> coming to know Christ, that was the gospel. And then my life, Christian life began. What I've learned from the reformers over the years, not just through the study, is that the gospel is the entirety of your relationship with Christ from the point of salvation to your ultimate glorification. That's the gospel. It's not just coming to know Christ. It's coming to know Christ, growing in your knowledge of Christ, and ultimately becoming like Christ and we've, we've left this part out. The reformers put it back together and the gospel is the entire story. Because what good is it if I come to know Christ, but I never become like Christ? What good is salvation at this end if I never get glorification at the other end? See, that's the problem in the Catholic faith is that you get salvation when you're baptized into the church, but then you have to spend all these years being justified so that someday you can be declared righteous. You're never guaranteed. We have the guarantee. We get both ends. We get the beginning, we get the end. What he has begun, he will finish. What he started, he will finalize and accomplish. But see, we're not just about proclaiming the gospel. And this is my key point this morning. The gospel proclaimed is wonderful, but guys, if we don't make it visible, it doesn't matter. So when I look across this room and, and is, I, I, I'm so grateful for you guys and I'm grateful for your coming every week and being faithful to go through this study with me. But if you and I don't live out what we say we believe, what we believe makes no difference. If, if we want to proclaim it and say the gospel is a wonderful thing, but our lives don't reflect it, it doesn't make a difference. And I think that's why so many lost people reject the gospel is because they look at our lives and go, but what difference does it make? It doesn't seem to have changed you. It's the reason so many young people leave the church once they get the opportunity to go off to school and they never darken the door of a church again is because they look back and they say, did I ever see it in the lives of my parents? We went to church every Sunday but I didn't see the gospel lived out in their daily life, how they got along, how they lived their life, how they 
performed out in the community. So this idea of the gospel made visible is what I want to take away from this study for me and hopefully for you. So what I want to do real briefly is go back to some things that Martin Luther said and John Calvin said. They're the two key players in my mind from the Reformation. And Martin Luther wrote this thing called The Freedom of a Christian. He wrote it uh, fairly early on after he nailed the 95 Theses. And uh, he wrote it with a letter to Pope Leo. And he was encouraged to write this letter because he had offended Pope Leo. And his buddies came and said, you need to set things straight with Pope Leo. Because Pope Leo is going to kill you, basically. He's already declared you're a heretic, and so you're going to die unless you straighten things out with Pope Leo. And he didn't really want to have a problem with Leo. He just wanted to see the Catholic Church fixed, so he wrote a letter. It was a very nice letter, complimenting him and telling him, it's not your problem, it's, it's all those idiots around you, is basically what he said. It's all the bishops and cardinals, they're leading you down a wrong path. You're a wonderful man. Ultimately, he would call him the Antichrist, but not in this particular letter. And so he writes this thing, this little track called The Freedom of a Christian. And I just want to read you a few things. I attached it to, to the email I sent to you guys. I really encourage you to read it. I read it again yesterday. It's an incredible document. It's not very long. Here's what he says. Although, as I've said, a man is abundantly and sufficiently justified by faith inwardly in his spirit, and so has all that he needs, except insofar as this faith and these riches must grow from day to day, even to the future life, glorification, yet he remains in this mortal life on earth. In this life, he must control his own body and have dealings with men. Now, where's he going? Luther believed adamantly about justification by faith alone, no works. And in this little tract that he sent to Leo, he, he drives home the message over and over again. This is towards the end. Over and over again, he says, you are not saved by your works. You will never be saved by your works. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. Yet, there should be works. There should be manifestations of your faith. And so he's trying to let Leo know that it's by faith there should be works, but but the Catholic church had them flipped. Works came first. Works justified you. And Luther said, no, you're justified by faith. And as a result of faith, the works show up. They should show up. That's why he says, you must control your own body and have dealings with men. What does that mean? You and I are left in this world, right? We were saved at some point in our life, 770. I don't know when you were saved, but if you were saved, you got left. You were made a citizen of the kingdom of God, First Peter tells us, but you were left here. And you're to live like who you are here. Even though this is not your home, you're, you're a sojourner, as Peter says, you're, you're an exile here. You're to live like a citizen of the kingdom of God. And in doing so, you're going to have dealings with men. When you leave here today, you're going to have dealings with men. The people who cut in front of you on the highway, the people you work with that you don't particularly like, that customer who drives you crazy, but you can't afford to offend because he helps pay your salary, you have dealings with men. And so what do we do? Well, he goes on. Here the work begins. Here a man cannot enjoy leisure. Here he must indeed take care to discipline his body by fastings, watchings, labors, and other reasonable discipline and to sub subject it to the spirit so that it will obey and conform to the inner man and faith. See, he's, what he's telling you is that God through his mercy, has called us. 
He has sent his son to redeem us. He has changed us on the inside. That's where faith does its work is on the inside, but it has to manifest itself on the outside, the outer man. My heart's been changed, but has my behavior been changed? And he says, and not revolt against faith and hinder the inner man as it is the nature of the body to do it if it is not held in check. So, you know, over in Galatians chapter six, Paul talks, or not, not Galatians, but Romans chapter six, Paul talks about this battle he has between his spirit and his flesh. And it's, it's probably my favorite passage because it's, man, that's me. Why don't I do what I want to do? And why do I do what I don't want to do? And oh, oh, wicked man, who will save me? Well, you've already been saved. It's, it's, it's this ongoing battle between your flesh, your sin nature, and the spirit of God within you. That's what Luther's talking about. And he says, if you don't keep this body in check, it will do harm and hinder the inner man. It's like the inner man is so desperately trying to get out. How does he get out? He gets out through this, this thing, this body. How does anybody know you're saved? Well, they know because of the way you live your life. And you can say it till you're blue in the face, but what do people put their stock in? Not your words, your actions. If you believe it, live it, prove it. And that's all that he's really saying in this, this little treatise that he wrote. He says, the inner man who by faith is created in the image of God is both joyful and happy because of Christ in whom so many benefits are conferred upon him. And therefore it is his one occupation to serve God joyfully and without thought of gain in love that is not constrained. What's Luther saying? You have been radically changed. You have been redeemed. You have been um, reformed by God. You've been given the Holy Spirit within you. Live like it. Live like who you are. That's why Peter says, be holy as God is holy. If, if I could put it in, in my paraphrase, it would just be like who God has already made you. Not to earn favor with God, not to become righteous, but in order to get your body to live in the righteousness that's already yours. Live it out. Be like who you are. Act like a son of God. So your faith has to show up in real life. And I love this is another line from Mike, uh, Michael Horton. He says, by freeing us from the need of good works for our own salvation, the gospel frees us to do good for the sake of others. See, what's, what I think Luther discovered, and it, it, he described it, that point when it, the light bulb went on, he said, it's like I walked through the door of paradise. I no longer have to work to earn righteousness before God. But what it did is it freed him up to do works for the good of others. Now, this is where I think most of us in the room struggle. That you love the idea that I don't have to, I don't have to do anything to earn favor with God but you've been left on this planet to do good things for the sake of others. Well, I don't want to do good for the sake of others. I want them to do good for the sake of me. But no, why are you here? For you? No. You're here to be Christ to those around you, to live out your salvation, to live out your righteousness given to you by Christ so that others might see God in you and be touched by you. It's like we're these PVC pipes that God is working through and he wants his righteousness to flow through us, not culminate and stop on us. 
And so Christ wants to live his life through you, through me, to those around you, both the lost and the believers in your life. So what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it in your actions? Who says this? What book is this from? James. We're all familiar with this passage. We just don't like this passage. We don't typically memorize this passage. Luther hated this passage. Initially, he called the book of James a right strawy epistle and said it never should have been included in the canon of scripture. Now, why did he say that? Because he felt like James was teaching, you got to have works to be saved. But as he began to study the book of James and realized it really is not in contradiction with the letters of Paul and the, the own theology of Luther himself, it's just coming at it from a different angle. James is actually arguing exactly what Luther says in his little treatise. So he says, what good is it if you say you have faith, but you don't show it? Can that kind of faith save anyone? It literally could just be translated, is that really saving faith? In other words, if you live a life that has no fruit and shows up in no outward manifestation, were you ever really saved? See, James would say no, because the two go together. And my goal here this morning is not to get you to doubt your salvation as much as it is to start living it out. Live out who you say you are. He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? None. Doesn't help them at all. They don't feel warm. They don't feel filled. They're still hungry. They're still cold. They're still unclothed. They still have the same issues. So he goes on. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. So 500 years later, we have all this great theology, all this great doctrine that came out of the Reformation, justification by faith alone, grace, grace alone, Christ alone, scripture alone. What are we going to do with it? Well, it's all linked to the gospel. Are you living out the gospel it's great that you believe in it, but are you living it? Is it visible to those around you? Are you doing good? See, that's what we're called to do. And we live in a world, guys, where we need to see a few people do some good. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm about up to here with everybody getting fired for sexual harassment. I'm not saying they didn't do anything wrong. I'm not saying they don't deserve it, but it's like, why suddenly has our world woken up to morality? Now, think about it. The only people getting fired are the ones at the highest echelons of media, uh, entertainment, you know. My wife asked me the other day, she said, what would happen if three women in the church accused you of sexual harassment and it wasn't true? I said, I'd probably get fired. But it's not true. I said, you know, in this world, it doesn't really matter anymore. And again, I'm not saying what these women are accusing these men of or men are accusing these men of is not true. We know what happens. It's going on everywhere. But it's this really weird form of moral righteousness. We're to do good. We're to live righteously. We are to be salt and light in this very dark world that seems to be getting darker as time goes on. 
So Luther goes on and says, we conclude therefore that a Christian lives not in himself, but in Christ and in his neighbor. Otherwise he is not a Christian. He lives in Christ through faith and his neighbor through love. Do you live for your neighbor? Do you care about your neighbor? Do you want to love your neighbor? He says, by faith, he's caught up beyond himself into God. By love, he descends beneath himself into his neighbor. It's what Philippians chapter two talks about. Have this mind in you that Christ had, who didn't consider himself too worthy to not come and take on human flesh, to not lower himself to become one of us so that he might serve us and die for us. That's what we've been called to do, to do good by living out our righteousness. Well, actually living out his righteousness. That's the gospel. That's what we're here to do. So in 1647, the Westminster Shorter Catechism came out. Catechisms had been around for a long time, but it became a real key way for the church to teach these newfound truths to young people. I think catechisms are wonderful. Um, I would encourage you, if you're a young father, to use catechisms like the Westminster Catechism to teach your children. And they are always based on a question-answer format. And they're meant to be memorized. And you put these things into your kid's life. So first question, what is the chief end of man? Why are we here? What's our purpose? Why did God put you on this planet? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, what does that eliminate? A whole lot. Your chief aim is not to make a lot of money. Your chief aim is not to have a great life, your best life now. Your chief aim is not to enjoy life. Your chief aim is not to build a bigger house, move to a new neighborhood. Those things are not wrong. They're not sinful. But guys, your chief aim, and this is biblical, is that you are here to glorify God with your life because he gave you life, both physical and spiritual, and you're to glorify him through this life and to enjoy him. And I, I want you to seriously ask yourself this morning, is that your chief aim? Do you bring glory to God with your life, this body, by the things you do? And do you enjoy him? Do you enjoy him now? I know I'm going to enjoy him in heaven. I'm not sure what that looks like. Not sure how that's going to work itself out. But do you enjoy him right here, right now in your life? So John Calvin and his institutes say, it will not suffice simply to hold that there is one whom all ought to honor and adore unless we are also persuaded that he is the fountain of every good. Here's the deal. If you don't really believe that God is the giver of all good things in your life, you will never really adore him. You'll never really appreciate him because you will become the giver of all good things in your life. Whether it's money, esteem, material goods, and we must seek nothing elsewhere than in him. See, that's what it means to glorify him. It means to go to him, to seek him, to become dependent on him, that everything you need comes from him. He is that fountain. For until men recognize that they owe everything to God, that they are nourished by his fatherly care, that he's the author of their every good, that they should seek nothing beyond him, they will never yield him willing service. You'll never serve God if you don't fully appreciate God. You'll never serve God if you don't realize that everything you have comes from God. Nay, unless they establish their complete happiness in him, they will never give themselves truly and sincerely to him. 
See, if my happiness is not in him, my happiness will be where? In anything and everything but him. I will seek happiness somewhere. And the sad thing is, many of us as believers don't seek our happiness in God. So, this is where you get to share. And I know this scares a lot of guys in the room because you don't want to share. This is like when Ted does open church. It's the riskiest thing any pastor can do is open the floor. Um, because you could end up with anything. But I'm going to open up the floor, and we're going to have, we've got two mics, and I, I want you to wait till the mic gets there. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me, what has God taught you over the last 12 weeks? Not what have I taught you. I don't want you to say anything about me. I don't want you to say either this was the worst study I've ever been through. Um, I'm only here because I appreciate my table. I don't want you to say anything about me. I want you to say, what has God taught you? How has this study of the Reformation reformed your own walk with God? And the reason I'm doing this, guys, is I want, I've had you come to me personally, email me, tell me what it's meant to you, but I want everyone to hear that. So the floor is open and I can wait you out. <laughs> He'll share. It's a great way to glorify God. Just put some pressure on you. Johnny, back in the back. I know we can hear your voice, but we're going to record it. I guess the one thing that I've learned through this is to appreciate grace more because of the things going on in our world today mm-hmm. that God's given us the greatest gift and to be more thankful for it. That's good. Thankful for the gift of grace. What else? What's he taught you? I don't need the yes, you do. Jerry, Jerry, you, Jerry, Jerry, you stop it. Take that mic. Okay, this way we, we can cut you off. It taught me church history from uh, when you go back, when you read the Old Testament. But our lives start really at Matthew 1. And Acts, wonderful. We're gonna, I'm going to enjoy Acts. I've been away from here because I've been a little busy, and uh, I look forward to everything. You guys are wonderful. I went to a Baptist church. I grew up a Southern Baptist, as you did. But I remember a pastor saying that we are the last, if we don't pass it on, we're the last of this, uh, how does it go? We're the last because nobody else is going to do it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. If we don't do it, who will? That's kind of what we talked about last week. Who else we got? Adam? Okay. Just also, uh, to kind of add to what Jerry said, it taught me a renewed appreciation for some of the lesser known figures in the Reformation. Like, I I think we'd all heard about Luther and Knox and Calvin, but uh, I had not, for example, heard the story of uh, William Tyndale Mm -hmm. or uh, basically. 
uh, the people who either became martyrs themselves or if they weren't martyred, then they, they risked their lives to, as I see it, uh, empower the people, anyone who wanted to truly know God's word and not just have some authoritarian church body tell them what the word of right. God said. And um, uh, also people like uh, you know, Friedrich III, who was a very powerful, important man, had no reason to basically give up everything he had, uh, and, and yet he risked it to, to stand up to uh, his own Catholic church and, and save Martin Luther yeah. from yeah. persecution. So. Yeah, yeah a, lot of, a lot of important characters that have been overlooked over the years. And again, just like we said last week, they're all ordinary men. They're just like you, uh, yet they accomplish great things. Who else? What's God taught you? Back in the back. Bill Hampton, celebrating his 80th birthday. Yeah. I told him he didn't look a day over 90. <laughs> no, I think what's taught me is the fact, I've said for years that our country needs a revival. But I've realized now, we don't need a revival. We need another reformation, the way things are going now, that we yeah. need it today. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Anybody else? Spencer? Yeah, Bill, I was kind of having that same thought. Um, you know, what it's taught me, and I kind of I did the reading through the Bible this year, so it was cool to be reading what I was reading and going along with this, and it kind of started in the gospel, just the time of year. And it was kind of like, you know, Christ was the ultimate reformer mm -hmm. of everything, and that every day in our lives, renewing of our minds in him, we have to be conscious and cognizant of where we are in our faith and never be complacent. And you see these men that they realized that, you know, things weren't right and they needed to make a change. And, you know, for me, it's just understanding that although I think I might be doing the right thing, constantly test and trials and, and just make sure you're aligned with God every day. So... That's been That's good. really important for yeah. me. Yeah. Bill? I don't know. I just, I just thought of this. Um, I guess just going back to the first week and, and, and what God's taught me is just, um, you know, we're reminded how ugly things can get when man takes over and tries to take authority. And when you go back to the word, it's... You know, God saith, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, says who? Well, God says. And um, it just, it, it's convicting to me that I just, you know, I need to stay in the word and I need to share because I, I take, I think too much for granted um, how many people have bought into the lie. And so I think for one, I, I need to be sharing this more with yeah. people and non-believers. Yeah. Good. The power of the word. Yeah. Um, I, it reminded me of a lot of things. Um, I became, I left the Catholic Church 52 years ago. And it's all because of the Reformation, what I read about it. And it was really a struggle. But <clears throat> also, you see God's work. He took these priests that were trying to reform and make their church better. And you see it today, you see God at work. We're here. We're learning the truth. Yeah. And uh, 
I just thank you for such a study. Yeah. Thank you, Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. Jack? Or? No. Go ahead. Well, two things come to my mind, and that is, what are you going to say at the coffee shop to the person across the table that you're drinking coffee with that has a different worldview than you have? <laughs> and this has made me stop and think, say what Jesus would say. Say what Luther would say. Say what Paul would say. And the next thing is this. I feel like my children and grandchildren need to know the Word of God. And so, there's no pat on my back, but I've just decided that every time we have a family reunion in my place, that we're going to, all go say, we're going to memorize Scripture and say it to each other during the time of the reunion. And we tried it back in uh, just a few weeks ago, and it blessed everyone. They're looking mm -hmm. forward to the next reunion where they can quote more Scripture. And wow. so, I've committed to start memorizing more Scripture, and I think that's, this has caused me to get on with it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Reformation studies has, has encouraged us to be bold and be intentional with our evangelism. And as we heard this morning, too, to not so much waste our service, not that service to humanity is not blessing someone in need, but wow, why not do both where we can show our motives of love and the gospel be intentional with the gospel where we do kind of like a servant evangelism, if you please. As we serve the people in need around us, then we give reason for that hope that was in us. And we all need that boldness. We all need that pray for boldness. And as we hear the study, it should encourage all of us to be intentional with the gospel. Because as we've heard, um, you can still get fed. You can still meet practical and physical needs. But I like it when the, when the spiritual and the physical come together. Jesus did that so much of his ministry. He, he healed a person's body and forgave their sins mm -hmm. in the same swoop. And so, praise the Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Right here, James. <clears throat> oh. Yeah, uh, coming from a, a confirmed Catholic, right, and uh, in a family that is all Catholic, I'm the only Protestant in the family, it's, as much as I want to take this notebook and just shove, shove, it, <laughs> shove it down them, I, I've recognized the only way that they can see the truths of the Reformation is, is it lived out in my life, yeah. right? And for, for me to display the grace that I've recognized in the gospel uh, through, the, through the daily decisions and obedience in my life. And that's the only way that they're going to truly see the true gospel. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. Yes. Uh, what I wanted to say, maybe all the men here, you have learned uh, seminary uh, level stuff without paying tuition. <laughs> so I think you, you need to give Ken something uh, because he, he did a lot. This is a lot of work. Uh, he's actually a graduate level. Uh, work. Uh, the spirit of uh, the Reformation actually does not control the world. If you look all around us, uh, you know, churches, the spirit of, of Reformation does not. So uh, we should always be careful when we read it and we ask ourselves, we apply it personally, are we really 
getting transformed or are we conforming? Because it's easier to look at the heroes of the past. Mm. But God is always asking us, remember Jesus' words to his disciples, well, who do people say that I am? Oh, you are this and this. But what about you? What do you say that I am? Mm. So until you answer that question, uh, then uh, uh, you will be hiding the light. So God is calling us uh, and me uh, to say who he is and the life in the spirit. Uh, that's the only way then that reformation spirit can live on yeah. to the glory of God. Thank you, James. So one over here. Okay, Jack. Uh, yes, I think um, one thing that I've been taught or probably uh, have been re-educated on is that God's will or God's plan is perfect. The last few months we've studied this reformation and also the last few months we've realized that what the world wants is despicable with all the news and things that are coming out. And when somebody can sit there and, and semi-defend uh, the actions of somebody and can't get their hands wrapped around this whole thing because this person was really a good person, I think the reason you can't wrap your hands around it is because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the way you, you handle that is to love the person and get that person uh, into a church and into the gospel. And, mm. and uh, I just think that's, that we have the opportunity to do that now uh, armed with this study. Thanks, Jack. Anybody? Yeah. I'm identifying with uh, a verse in the Bible with Esther. Had a big decision to make in her life. Mordecai asked her this question. Who knows... I'll just quote it for you. Who knows whether you have not come into this kingdom for such a time as this? And I believe that Martin Luther came on the horizon in the 1500s, 1400s, whenever he was born for the Reformation. I really believe God sent him, Calvin, and all those guys. And I believe as men, I believe for such a time as this right now, mm -hmm. We've come into this world to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm going to close with this. Uh, at least one of us um, was on, honest enough to say, I'm never going to stand up and um, speak in front of a group. So he wrote me a note and he said, uh, just want to thank you for allowing our hearts to see and learn about the Reformation and its importance of why and how we worship God's word so we are privileged, as we are so privileged to do today. So again, the word of God. You know, if you got anything out of this, um, I really do hope you've, even though we didn't do a, a study of the Bible, we didn't do a particular book of the Bible, we weren't in the scripture every day, it was historical study. I really hope you're walking away from here with a, a deeper love for and appreciation for the word of God. That apart from the word of God, the Reformation wouldn't happen. What drove these men? The Word of God. The truth found in the Word of God. And as you look around at the world, and guys, our world is screwed up, but we have the hope of the world. You know, Ted often says that the church is the hope of the world, and I don't disagree with that, but I think the church that doesn't have the Word has no hope. That's why churches who don't preach the Word, churches that don't, don't go back to the gospel really have nothing to offer. That's why ministries who don't, who just do 
physical acts of ministry, dig water wells, feed the poor, uh, clothe them. That's wonderful, but non-Christians can do that, and some of them do it better than we do. But if we don't give them the gospel, we haven't done anything. So I hope you walk out of here today encouraged to live out what you say you believe. We've spent a lot of time learning what the reformers came to believe and what we've inherited. But I want to get it from here to here. Because once it gets here, then it starts flowing out. If you truly believe what you say you believe, it will start flowing out to those around you and, and make a difference in their lives. So here's how I want you to spend the rest of the time you have together. You've got two more questions. Talk about any changes you feel you need to make in your life so that your faith becomes more visible and your satisfaction in God becomes more evident. And then I'd like you to just close in prayer before you leave today. And then we'll see you January 18th, same place, same time, same breakfast. All right, so let me pray for you. Father, bless these guys. Watch over them as they talk. Bless their time together. Bless them as they go from this place that, Father, we might be salt and light in a very dark world, that we might be agents of change, reformers, redeemers in the lives of those who need to hear the story of redemption, who need to know what we know and experience what we've experienced. Father, may we be the voice, the hands, the feet of Christ in this world, in this day. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.